Mora conducts physician-led support groups, helping people live healthier, happier lives, free from chronic diseases like diabetes, hypertension, and obesity. And on our podcast, Health and Mora with Dr. Lori Marbus, we bring to you nutrition and lifestyle medicine experts and extraordinary guests to empower and inspire you with their knowledge and stories of plant-based lifestyle so that you can be your healthiest self. Welcome to the podcast. I'm Dr. Lori Marbus, and today I'm super excited to welcome yet again, my friend, Catherine Van Tassel. How are you? Good. How are you? Good. I love your hat, by the way. (laughs) <laughs> it's cold in Utah. It's snowing. <laughs> it's <just> warm. <laughs> I can appreciate that for sure. Um, so Catherine is a multi-talented human, works with us at Mora, but she has this really cool uh, deep dive knowledge about food addiction and behavioral health. So this is going to be really fun, guys. So tune in and listen. I want to try to ask all the questions that's rumbling through your head as we go along. So Um, First of all, why don't we start with what is food addiction? I think that's a great place to start. Yeah, absolutely. Um, So food addiction uh, really kind of crosses over with the criteria of both um, substance use disorder or um, any type of addiction to substances. um, And then also um, what we see in binge eating or um, bulimia. uh, So definitely in... um, in eating disorders, it's not officially recognized by the American College of uh, Psychiatry or it's in the DSM, but they are doing a lot more research in this area. Um, Social psychologists are interested in this, behavioral psychologists are interested in this because it seems like it's becoming more and more an issue. Um, And out of Harvard, they actually developed a scale for it called the Yale Food Assessment Score. So there is a way to clinically measure it. Um, But essentially, uh, just like an eating disorder or a substance use disorder, it's a behavior that you don't feel like you have perceived control on. And um, once you engage in that behavior, that you have feelings of guilt or remorse, um, feelings of failure, and then this is a repeated behavior despite negative consequences. Um, so very much like you would see in a substance use disorder, you know, this trying to not use the substance, but this overwhelming feeling that you can't control the use, the guilt, the shame, and then trying again, you know, and we see this too with people all the time starting a diet on Monday, you know, on New Year's Eve on or New Year's Day, not New Year's Eve, um, So really, I think why it's important to talk about this, and and I think researchers, you know, are really um, interested in this is because we know that it's not our willpower, it's not a failure of us, um, that there's more going on. Mm -hmm. So when you mentioned the uh, Yale scale, um, what does it ask, and how can people access it, and what does it mean exactly, depending on the score? Yeah, absolutely. So I actually printed it out because um, I thought it would be good to go over because it's very interesting to hear the questions. Um, I won't read them all because there's a criteria of 25 questions, um, but you can you can Google this um, Yale Food Addiction Scale. Um, but essentially, they're asking um, 
well, the survey asked about eating habits and it, it's over the past year. And it asked particularly about difficulty controlling certain foods. Um, and those certain foods include sweets like ice cream, chocolate, donuts, cookies, cakes. So very highly processed foods. Um, and then starchy, white, high glycemic carbohydrates like white bread, rolls, pasta, rice, salty snacks like pretzels, chips, crackers, and then fatty foods, steak, bacon, hamburgers, cheeseburger, pizza, French fries, um, and also sugary drinks like soda pop. So thinking of those foods is what you answer the questions um, to. So for example, I find that when I start eating certain foods, I end up eating much more than planned. So loss of control, you can't, um, you're eating more than you would like to. I find myself continuing to consume certain foods, even though I'm no longer hungry. So this is part of that feeling, eating past the feeling of comfortably full to the point where you're like, oh gosh, I really don't feel good. Why did I do that? I shouldn't have done that. I don't, you know, but it was so good. I kept eating. Um, I eat to the point where I feel physically ill. I spend a lot of time feeling sluggish or fatigued after overeating. So I think many of us have experienced that we eat some food and then we're like, oh God, I got to go sit down or like undo my pants and, and rest because I feel so tired from this. Um, and then, uh, I find myself, um, constantly thinking about food or eating certain foods throughout the day, excuse me. Um, and maybe just this last one, my behavior with respect to food and eating causes significant distress. Um, so people are definitely feeling emotionally taxed by this. So there's all of those questions kind of lead to someone knowing cognitively that this is not healthy, that they don't want to where does that feeling or where does the actual loss of control come in? Like, how does that even begin or start? Like we weren't born addicted to these foods, probably not shortly thereafter, but what, how does that start? Like, where does our story begin? Yeah. So this is again, and I find that this is, I always try and reinforce this when I'm talking to people, because again, there's so much guilt and shame. And when we have guilt and shame, it's hard to, um, it's hard to make new behaviors or move past that. But once we understand that there's this biological process going on, but there's a way to change that. Um, and where did that start? So to answer your question, you know, when we were cavemen, when we were in tribes, um, our body wanted to stay alive. I mean, that was, that was the number one thing. And the way that we did that was shelter and food. Um, because if we were exposed to the elements that was life-threatening. And if we starved to death, that was life-threatening. So our brains are so smart and so perfect. And the fact that they have these reward systems built in there. Um, and so the basic of it is when we saw food, you ate that, your brain gave off all these rewards. You got dopamine drops, serotonin drops. This is feel good. Basically saying to your body, that was really good. Make sure you remember where this is and do it again. So that was fantastic then because we didn't have a McDonald's everywhere or an Uber Eats on our phone. But those um, reward mechanisms haven't gone away. We still have them, but now we just have all this abundance of food, an abundance of food that has been chemically engineered. 
Um, and I think a really interesting study um, that was done and it was posted in the American Journal of Clinical Nutrition. Um, they took two groups of people. And so they made this milkshake and one milkshake had um, high, uh, high glycemic um, sugars in it and uh, carbohydrates. And the other one was made of more slow acting. I think they used cornstarch in it. And they fed it to two people and did functional MRIs. So looking at their brain and what lights up. Um, and the nucleus accumbens, which is essentially something that lights up when you um, people are addicted to gaming or addicted to substances, it lit up like a Christmas tree. Um, and what they noticed is that after, so they got a huge reward from this, their brain was like, good job, do this again. Um, and then after four hours, they had this drop um, in there. So their insulin went up really high when they first had all that sugar, then it dropped really low and their blood sugar dropped really low. And so then they were more ravenous, more hungry. And like, I got to find something again to eat. So again, that primitive, we got to make sure you stay alive. Your blood sugar is really low. We need to find something, you know, and this was rewarding high sugar, high fat to eat again. So on the fast carb that happened, but not on the slow carb, correct? Correct. Okay. So, um, boy, there's just so much we could go down. I'm trying to decide what would be the most interesting for everyone who's listening, because there's pieces here that you, you know, you mentioned that our brain is like caveman brains, but people would say, yeah, well, we have a thinking part of our brain. Why can't I just will my way out of this? So where does willpower fail us? Because that seems to be where people rely on as, you know, it's the first day of the new year, I'm going to do this, but you know, that maybe lasts a week or two weeks. And then we are like, ah, screw it. I'm back to my normal, you know, daily unhealthy habits. Why can't I rely on my willpower? Yeah. So I think that there's a number of things that are going against us and we can kind of break this up into two ways. Um, so one is our food system has been, been completely engineered to fight against us. So, I mean, that's one of the reasons we can't willpower our way. And just to give a backdrop of what this looks like um, and why it's so powerful and why people want to make these foods, um, the processed food industry is a billion dollar industry. It makes, you know, so much money for so many people. Um, and there's, you know, there's even um, reports that all like the head of Pillsbury, the head of um, multiple big food corporations have gotten together and people have raised concerns because they know like, we, you know, when they before when trans fat was in our food, we knew that it was um, detrimental to our health. And, you know, there's been reports of these people getting together and talking about we've got to change something because the processed food industry is so harmful to the health. But the problem is, is they can't ever make any changes because there's so much money, billions of dollars that are beholden to shareholders. Um, they don't want to lose any money. So what happens in these companies is they, um, they hire these essentially food psychologists. Um, so one of him, one of the gentlemen that's a food psychologist, his last name's um, Moskowitz. He's a psychophysicist. So yeah, I know I didn't even know what a psychophysicist is. I had to look it up. Um, but essentially it's an investigation of the relationship between physical stimuli and sensations and perceptions that they produce. So 
the interesting part of this is uh, he's been hired by multiple companies, but um, they, uh, the manufacturer of Prego hired him um, to sell more of their spaghetti sauce. And what he did was add more sugar. Um, and there's a, an industry term for this called bliss point. So essentially what they do is they literally add sugar, sugar, sugar until it tastes bad. And mm. so when it tastes bad, they bring it off a little bit and that's the bliss point. Mm. Um, yeah. yeah. So for example, um, yeah, Michael, uh, what's his name? The one that wrote the book, uh, salt, sugar, fat, yeah. Michael it wasn't like Paul. it's a moss i think something moss yeah 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 um the interesting that bliss point so for example for myself when i'd eat i've only had one crispy cream donut in my entire life i had half of one i tell you it must have been 12 13 14 years ago a long time ago the kids were raising money right they sell these crispy cream donuts i was like bought a box had half one and i got nauseous so for me, my, they way saturated my, like I was way past that bliss point, but the bliss point is just happy enough, but I want more. So that's where it's feeding into that piece. And this guy should be hung up in the public <laughs> square and said, you're responsible <laughs> for realizing yeah. No, I'm just, well, am I kidding? Maybe a little, um, but anyway, but what we're, where does well where so, does money start and you know your yeah. ethical piece begin but go ahead i'm sorry Ugh. oh no it's this so interesting because and in you know going along with this we just don't know about it i think knowledge is so is powerful so to make the foods be able to be self shelf stable they have to add ingredients to them. Like, so for example, um, waffles, frozen waffles. If you don't add salt to um, frozen waffles, it tastes like straw and they and they appear like straw too. So you can't sell things, it, you know, if you can't keep them for a while and your overhead gets too high. Um, and- Is this the processed waffles? Cause I think if I made- now I'm curious. I'm going to do a little experiment. If I made my my waffles, which has like six whole food ingredients, I'm wondering if I froze them, how long did it last? I am just curious. Yeah. Yeah, that's a good question. I'm thinking I've frozen waffles before and they've been okay. Not for very long though. I think maybe just like a week they're okay. Yeah, because um, I'd freeze them because our boys, I'd make a bunch and then the boys would have them at the grant. They never lasted more than three or four days because they'd ate them. But I'm curious, just out of a science experiment, I'd have to keep Patrick out of the freezer. But I am curious. Though. Hmm. Yeah, salt. Yeah. Okay. Um, the other thing when they add sugar, fat, and salt, and of note, we don't have any natural foods. So think of a potato or an avocado or an orange none of our natural foods have all three sugar, fat, and salt, none of them. So an avocado is high in fat, but not sugar. Uh, orange is, you know, quote unquote, high in sugar. It's not bad for us sugar, but still that's a sugary food, but there's no fat in an orange. There's not one food. So again, um, this whole willpower, why is our willpower being taken away? Well, when you combine those three foods, um, it makes it very easy to eat a lot of it 
So part of it is it um, goes down really easy. So you know how you could sit down and eat ice cream and the whole pint is gone and you're like, whoa, where did that go? Or chips, the same thing. One of the questions they ask on the Yale food scale, I consumed all this food and I didn't even realize it. That's why. So when you do all of these combinations, you get this mouth fill, you get the bliss point, it's easy to eat, you raise your sugar really high, then it drops. So then I need more food. I mean, it's it's multifactorial and so much going. Um, and just for a couple of other examples, because I think this is so interesting and knowledge is power, cornflakes, when they add salt to it, it takes away the metallic taste. So not everybody, but a great, wait, 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 what's causing the metallic taste. It's um, because it's a processed food and um, certain aspects of that process chemicals causing will make it taste like chemicals. So they add salt to it. Wow. Yeah. Um, Cheez-Its, if they don't add salt to it, it would stick to the roof of your mouth um, and you wouldn't be able to, it wouldn't be that easy to go down. I can eat a lot of it. (laughs) Um, and so that's salt, but for fat, uh, their, um, their bliss point in fat, they use bliss point for sugar, but essentially their, um, their formula for how much fat that they want is about 50, 50% of calories from fat and processed foods, um, that they see, you know, you get it to be highly palatable and people eat more of it and, and keep coming back to it. Wow. Gosh. I can see the, especially like the chips and salsa. That is my Achilles. Oh, I, mm. wow. Okay. <laughs> yeah. So, ah, geez, the world is, is, it is built against us. There's billions of dollars. There's corporations, people who are smarter than us conspiring to make us addicted to these foods and come back to them since we were youth, you know, between the advertising, the, the most points, the, whatever, the chemicals that are added the chemicals added to cover up the chemicals. <laughs> um, what is a person to do? Like, where do we turn? Because, you know, it seems all is lost. No hope for our caveman brain in this, you know, normal, what quote unquote normal world we live in nowadays. Like what, do, what is a poor person to do? Yeah, exactly. Is there any hope out there for us? <laughs> So yes, there, there are a lot of tools and there's a lot of help out there and it ranges everywhere from therapy, um, to medications, uh, to even, um, like mindfulness practices. Um, and I can kind of talk about that. I don't, um, in terms of medications, just cause, you know, I think everybody's always like, oh, can I take something that's the magic pill? Um, I wish there was that out there. There's not. Um, the reason why some medications help, it's not the whole, it's not a complete fix. Um, but there are some medications that work on serotonin and dopamine. So the same, uh, that you get this reward from. So think of like, um, SSRIs, uh, Prozac, Zoloft, Lexapro, um, those can help. Um, uh, and it helps reduce symptoms, um, especially that like high craving, uh, so working because it's measure, uh, it's working on the dopamine serotonin system and then medications that they use in substance use disorder. So um, think of Toparamate or Topamax that helps with impulsive behavior. This is really just a small um, portion. And honestly, I think 
your biggest bang for your buck would be um, therapy or mindfulness. And there's a reason for that because you're retraining your brain. So if we think of mindfulness specifically, our brain, like I talked about the caveman is that um, it's trying to keep us alive and there's a reward behavior there. So that nucleus accumbens that's there, like do this, do this again. But if we can be mindful, and what I mean by that is, okay, the next time you overeat, instead of having any judgment there, just be really cognizant and, and notice what your body feels like. Like, is that heartburn or is that like uncomfortable belly? Do you have a hard time sleeping that night because you ate too much food and you notice you're restless, didn't sleep well, notice those things. And just, okay, that's good evidence. That's evidence of why this might not be a good behavior. And then the next time when you feel, um, well, let me back up, sorry. Then identify triggers. So loneliness, boredom, stress, whatever that could be for you of why somebody might eat, um, start to notice that. So again, this mindfulness, um, I notice I'm in the kitchen at three o'clock every day. Oh, that's, you know, maybe this time of day I get bored or I'm tired of working or whatever that looks like. So mindful of how your body feels mindful of your triggers, take that evidence. And then the next time you get triggered somewhere. So, uh, I feel bored. I'm going to go eat before you eat do something else that's a positive, it's positive reinforcement for you. So for me, that would be going for a walk. I love taking my dog for a walk. And when I go outside and I go for a walk, I also get dopamine drop. I also get the positive reward in my brain. So I wish I could say you do this one time and then you fix the whole system. It needs to be repetitive action, just like we've been doing repetitive action of eating when we're bored, sad, sick, alone, whatever that is. Um, but once you start redoing it, the nucleus incumbents always wants the bigger and better. And it loves, um, it, it loves to have something that makes you feel joyful. So if you can train your brain to do that, then you'll rewire, literally rewire your brain to do a different behavior. So think about turning on a, um, some song, um, a song that you really like and dancing around in your kitchen. That would be something to do. Coloring, do something that's like hand-eye coordination. There's adult coloring books now, Sudoku, reading a book, um, maybe watching a show. And give yourself 10, 20 minutes in between that craving, doing a behavior that brings you joy. And if you're still having that craving, you know, ask yourself, am I really hungry? Is this, you know, is this something that my body needs or is this a craving? And just be mindful, how will I feel after this? So we have this saying um, in the recovery world is play it forward. What will it be like after this 10 minutes? Because really when we eat, it's like five, 10, 15 minutes. We eat so fast. How am I going to feel in 20 minutes? Um, and what can I do to make that, make that change? Um, and then, so that's a mindfulness practice, but there's also um, a dialectical behavioral therapy, which is super interesting because Noom um, is an app and they're all based on dialectical behavioral therapy. That's what their platform is based off is that, um, is that modality of therapy. What is um, that? It, so new, uh, what's DBT or what's- um, Yeah, the DBT. 
Did yeah. you say diabolical? Di- <laughs> <laughs> no, um, dialect, dialectical behavioral therapy. Dialectical. Okay, gotcha. I was like diabolical. Hmm. <laughs> All right. It's a therapy that was um, started by a woman named Marsha Linehan, and she um, she uh, designed it for people that had borderline personality disorder. Um, and it's a fantastic therapy. In fact, if somebody has borderline personality disorder, it's more effective than any medications and can actually, um, the word cure, I think is a pretty big word, but really put that, um, that mental health condition into remission. It's a fantastic treatment, but they've started using it and all of these other, um, for other conditions as well. Um, and it's really just a way to retrain your brain too. Um, and it really helps in terms of like eating behavior and then eating with like eating disorder or pathophysiology. So do you know the basics of it? Dialectical behavior. You said dialectical. <laughs> uh, dialectical behavior therapy. <laughs> behavior therapy. Well, interesting. never heard of this. Yeah. Interesting enough um, about that therapy is, so it has multiple um, components to it. There's four components to it. Um, but one of them is based on mindfulness. Uh, and another one is stress management. Um, I, I love DBT. I really think that um, it helps. It helps just basically like the stress of life. Um, really how we, uh, regulate our emotions. So, um, there's emotional regulation, um, interpersonal effectiveness, distress tolerance, um, and mindfulness. That's what it's broken up to. Um, okay. (laughs) So it's like a playbook for being a human in the modern world. Pretty much. Okay. So I get the mindfulness piece. Love that. Tell me about this interpersonal component. What was that exactly? Interpersonal. Oh, for DBT. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, so, well, one of the things that they uh, talk about is um, distress tolerance. So, essentially, if you have um, a negative, a negative emotion because of X, whatever that is, mm-hmm. um, instead of then acting out in a behavior that's a maladaptive coping strategy, which we all do, we all do it in in different ways, whether that's pick a fight with our partner or eat food, um, or game or shop or whatever. Um, it helps you come up with other skills to be able to bring down that distress, but in, um, positive coping strategies. So almost coming up with better habits to deal with better activities. And one of the things um, about DBT that they do, because a lot of times people with um, borderline personality disorder is that they dissociate and um, kind of this feeling like their body's doing something, but they're not in control of it. And that might be why um, this works in terms of overeating or not feeling like you're in control. Cause that's one of the criteria of food addiction, not feeling like you're in control of your body. And I've heard people say this over and over again, I knew I wanted to stop eating, but I couldn't eat. Um, so one of the components of the therapy of DBT is, um, bringing yourself back into your body. So putting your hands in cold, cold, like ice water. Um, so really kind of like shocking you back in, bringing you into your body, um, even like a rubber band on your wrist, just flicking it. Um, so again, 
feeling back into your body, bringing you back into a present state. Hmm. Okay. So being basically a present state, being mindful, it's, 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 it's a movement of the body. And I've certainly seen, I can't remember what it's called. Um, NLP, I believe, or something like that, where anyway, basically I, it might've been Tony Robbins that I remember reading this long time ago about where he'd say physically change, like you need to change your physical state Mm -hmm. Um, to bring you back around into the present moment so that you're aware of what's going on and you can, you know, step out of the craving cycle or that habit loop. Um, And so you said mindfulness, the stress tolerance piece, the interpersonal components. Uh That's um, probably not so much that would be with food addiction. Um, Okay. That would be more for somebody that has borderline personality disorder. They have a lot of interpersonal um, conflict and that's for a number of reasons. So I'm not sure that that would essentially be happy or be helpful that way. Um, the other, one of the other, uh, DBT has all of these exercises and all these components of them, but another one that makes me think is helpful is they call this exercise, the beginner's mind. Um, so essentially coming to something with no judgment, again, there's a lot of mindfulness aspects of this. This is very much mindfulness. Um, but no preconceived notions, no judgments, no, this is going to be awful or whatever that is. And I think having a beginner's mind about um, changing our, our food patterns are the behaviors that we have around food. Again, there's so much guilt and shame. Um, I can't tell you how many people I meet with that say, I've tried every diet under the sun. I've done Adkins, keto, South beach, a cookie diet, this diet. I mean, there is a diet for, for everything. There's the maker's diet, which is a diet that is like, I don't know, some sort of spirituality, what like God ate. I don't know. It has this very like interesting cover, but I mean, this is the part that I feel so much for people is that, you know, you try, you try this diet. And again, we're just up against, you know, so much that's working against us. And then you fail. And then it's these overwhelming feelings of guilt and shame. So this beginner's mind concept of it doesn't matter what's happened in the past. It only matters what happens right now. Um, and I now have lots of knowledge. Like I have all this in my pocket. And one of that would be really trying to cleanse your house of processed foods. Um, because we just, they're more powerful. They've billions of dollars behind them. Um, and somebody wants you to overeat that food because it makes the company richer. It makes the sharehold richer. And I don't think that, I don't think that there are people trying to be malicious about this, or I, I don't, I want to, I want to believe in the best, but people are driven by money and that's, I'm sorry, but I'm <laughs> going to have to disagree because absolutely. I believe there are people who could care less about your health and want more money in their pocket. A hundred percent. I know. I, and I, yeah, I mean, it's just, it's a money and maybe it's maybe a better way to say it's not personal. It's just about money. Oh, it's personal because they don't care about you. It's personal in the sense. So I don't think you become a billionaire by being a nice person. I just, you just, I don't know, maybe there's a nice billionaire who'd like to come on the podcast Mm -hmm. and convince me otherwise, but um, (laughs) anyway, but that's, well, for some reason, I want to go back to this internal personal base because I feel like there is, right? Because there's a lot of times people, at least in my experience as a doc, talking to patients, there was something that happened in their childhood, this, this stress, the relationships, maybe they still have 
you know, very dysfunctional relationships. So there is that interpersonal, not from the standpoint of like someone with a personality disorder. I mean, that's that there, those are different types of people, but there's still, I feel if Newman is using this, I'm curious, there might be some pieces that people can step out of the dysfunctional relationship, right? Because it seems like people can't walk away from the dysfunctional relationship for whatever reason. We've all been there. Yeah. And that science is interesting too, um, on, uh, people that like, if you do population analysis for people that, um, are obese, uh, I can't remember. It's a pretty high percentage of those people have had sexual trauma in their past. Um, and for, for a sure a number of reasons, but some of the work that I've heard about this is it's this protective factor that if they have this layer of fat that nobody will look at them and won't hurt them again, which is completely understandable. I can hundred percent see why, you know, that would become a coping skill for them to be protective of them because this horrific thing happened to them, um, that, you know, nobody should go through. Um, so that's something else that I think, you know, that there's so much trauma, the food system, highly addictive foods, our own brain, trying to keep us alive in a world where we have all this food there. Um, and then thinking about loneliness or depression or mental health, you, you have all of this playing in and coming back to that theme of being mindful and not, and ha not having judgment on yourself, you know, just really this, okay, you know what, I'm going to gather the data. Here's the evidence. How does this make me feel? What do I now know? Um, what's happening in my body? And then what can I do for that? And if, if somebody's really struggling with this, I would say, please, please get a therapist. Um, or there's Overeaters Anonymous, um, even Weight Watchers, that's built on community support, group support, building healthy eating habits. Um, there's so many resources out there that um, nobody has to feel like this is there forever. It changes. And then get the food out of the house. I mean, think of yourself essentially the same as if you were struggling with substances, you wouldn't keep alcohol in the house. Um, take, take it out. If it's not in your house, it's much likely less in your mouth. Um, and have open conversations with people. I think this is the part where it gets so much harder than, um, addiction from substances. So if you tell somebody you're an alcoholic, they're not going to be like, Oh, come on, just, just drink this, just have this. But if you change your diet, sometimes other people get offended or, you know, oh, you can have a one donut, everything in moderation. You would never say that to an alcoholic mm. and food is everywhere. We have to eat to be alive. You don't have to drink alcohol to be alive and you need food multiple times during the day. And food is everybody's birthday, everybody's dinner, you know, social engagements, every party you go to, it's, it's in our culture. So, um, being open about that, I'm, you know, I'm, I'm concerned about my health. I, I need to make some changes, um, blame your doctor, say that your doctor ordered you to do this. Um, there's, there's definitely ways, but, um, get support. Absolutely. Find a place to get support, whether that's an app like Noom or a mindfulness app. Um, Dr. Brewer has, um, a few mindfulness apps and ones, uh, specifically for food, um, eat right now, eat right now. Yes. Yep. Yeah, the eat right now app. He also has the, um, uh, unwinding anxiety app. 
um, in the craving to quit app for smoking. Um, yeah. So the, for, yeah. Um, for the craving to quit app, he tells this story about cigarettes. Um, and I liked the way I could like frame this in my mind. So he had somebody come in, did the mindfulness experiment that I was talking about, about just noticing what it feels like when you eat foods that don't make you feel well. So he did this with somebody, or he does this with people that smoke cigarettes, so go home and smoke cigarettes. And, and everybody's like, wait, I'm in a smoking cessation program. What am I going to go home and smoke cigarettes? He's I just want you to notice what it's like. Notice what it smells like. What does it taste like? What does it feel like? And he said, this one man came back, went home, did the sex race, came back for group, you know, the next week or however long that had been. And um, he was like, well, I'm never smoking again. And he hadn't smoked during that time. And he was like, why? And he was like, this, the smell of my fingers it, and I couldn't taste my food. I never noticed that before. That's awful. You know? So he got negative feedback instead of all this positive feedback from it. And that was just him noticing being present, being mindful of the body's reactions. So there's a nice acronym that it was in one of Judd's papers as well. If you guys want to go back to the podcast and just look up Jebra, I've reviewed him like, I don't know, five or six times. He's also plant-based too, by the way, guys. Um, but it's called RAIN, so R-A-I-N. So whenever you're in the in the throes of a craving or desire, you can step back. So R is recognize it. It's there. It's cool. You don't have to fight it. You don't have to run away from it. You can just turn into it and say, let's have a conversation. Be curious, right? Um curiosity really is your superpower when you're learning there's that dopamine piece so a is acknowledge I acknowledge you're here you don't have to to leave me craving you can speak to it as a name it I don't know whatever you want to call it and then that acknowledgement piece leads you right into the eye of investigate so you're investigating those are the questions you're describing how am I feeling how am I going to feel afterwards am I really hungry what led me to this point is there a reason that I can isolate that triggered me to do this behavior? You know, just asking questions and, and then in is noting, noting your answers, noting how you feel. So there's two things that occur to that one that brings you to the mindful piece. Maybe you smell your fingers and you're like, well, they're <laughs> sticky for my whatever I just ate or whatever. Um, but the other piece is it gives you time and distance between the craving starting and allows the craving potentially to just crest and fall. So you don't have to, you know, be kind of spun up in that habit um, of, you know, just getting rolling down the hill, so to speak. So that's a really easy one. People may come up with their own, you know, um, I did know of someone who, uh, Dotsie Bosch actually, who I interviewed, who was an Olympian, she put a blue dot on her refrigerator or the toilet. She was a bulimic. She was also addicted to cocaine, I believe. I think it was, it was some substance. Anyway, she used a similar type of thing. She stopped. She kind of went through these exercises. And then over the course of two or three months, she literally, the reward of the behavior was so far gone that she didn't even desire to do it. It's kind of like that gentleman who had that initial, my hand smell. So why would I want to do that? it's really fascinating what it, what the trigger is for someone. And the other thing I will say is getting that distance in the moment is so important. And then if you can get some distance from eating those foods, just like you said, you ate the Krispy Kreme and that was horrible for you. Horrible because your taste buds aren't used to that. That's not a food uh -uh. you've ever eaten. 
Um, and I did, so I used to drink diet Coke, like it was going out of style. I mean, <laughs> it was like water to me. And for some reason, I don't even remember why I thought I probably shouldn't drink this much diet Coke and I stopped drinking it. And then, you know, a couple of years later, somebody had one and I was like, oh, I'll have one with you. And it literally, it tastes like gasoline. I mean, and this went from like, I was like in a three diet Coke a day situation, you know, to not, and you don't need that, you know, that was a couple of years later, but honestly, your, your taste buds, they change in like 30 days. We even see changes after 10 days. So I had a Dr. Pepper Pepsi thing. So my grandmother, okay. So my grandmother used to buy Dr. Pepper and, and bottles and she put peanuts in them. So she'd mix salty peanuts. So there's oh, a fat and salt salty. and dip them into her. She literally dropped them into her Dr. Pepper bottle. No kidding. I can't make this stuff up. And apparently she'd give this to my mom when she was little. So then of course I got introduced to the same thing. Um, luckily my parents didn't buy a lot of sodas because they just didn't have money. And they're like, no, there's water. <laughs> right. So um, there was that. But whenever I started making my own money, I would always drive up to like Taco Box or it's like the Taco Bell equivalent in this little town. And I'd get like a, so it was like my thing, right? Or when I go out with my buddies. So I, when I got to college, I drank regular sodas that the diet stuff, bleh, no, I wanted the real sugar. Get to medical school, three little kids. I made it through life with sodas. You know what was the final draw for me? And I never did it again. I ended up with a root canal. Um, and they're like you need to stop drinking sodas and I was like I will never go through that again because it was such a horrible experience and I never drank one again and that's been I don't know 20 years a negative event that was it I was like oh heck no (laughs) and I bet if you tasted it now it would be I have the thought of tasting that and you know I had a Sprite I think one time when I had an upset stomach and even that was you know, it was like, cause you always had Sprite when you, that carbonation, I'm like, I don't, I'll, I'll drink a LaCroix or something now, but, um, oh my Lord, I don't even like, what was, it's so interesting when you look back on those behaviors, it was just, it was just part of what you did. Right. You like until like, I didn't know there was anything wrong with that. Oh, well I did, but it wasn't, it wasn't personal yet. Yeah. I had to make it personal. <laughs> so whatever you guys you can do to make this personal um and this negative thing and sometimes you know for me if there is nothing that people can think of is just like imagining all the money draining out of your account or imagining you know someone else is taking your money and putting it in their pocket and getting on a plane and flying away to somewhere you'd like to be you know so that's how I see it too, is they're really robbing you, not only of monetary, but of your health, your future. Um, yeah. So that's, yeah. Wow. That's fascinating. Ooh, Diet Coke, huh? Yeah. <laughs> it's interesting there. Um, the microbiome now is this oh, huge, like, yeah. you know, this huge buzzword, but also an area of science that is just, I mean, I think every day they probably discover something new. Um, and the science there is new. There's, you know, it still needs more research, but they're researching like prebiotics and probiotics. Um, cause one of the theories behind it, and this is the substance use too, is that 
So when you, you, when the microbiome in your body is bad, it's like a dysbiosis. That's what it's called. And, um, essentially your gut lining is just one cell thick, the lining of that. And, um, if it gets damaged, things can leak through into your gut. And so the thought or the theory behind this is that if you get dysbiosis in your gut and you get that by eating highly processed foods, lots of fatty foods, saturated foods. So things from animal proteins, that type of thing, disrupt your gut microbiome. And then you get this, um, dysregulation in, uh, your neuron signaling. Um, and then that can cause misuse of substances because your body is always trying to be, you know, equal. And when one goes up, the other part's trying to go down and overcorrect. So I think it'll be fun to see what comes out of that science. There's so much. I mean, people from a hundred years ago are like, what were these caveman people thinking? It's like, why were they feeding their people these foods? And maybe, I don't know, maybe it'll get even worse Who knows before we get better, but it's fascinating. There's just so much on this topic. So not only you had mentioned um, getting support, but they can go to Mora, right? They can go to Mora.com and join our groups. And we can definitely, the, the way we approach, you know, chronic disease, including obesity and diabetes and heart disease and all those things is relatively the same. Basically, you got your nutrition piece, your exercise, your sleep, your stress management. Mm-hmm. Um, community is a big part of what we're doing. And so those things can be dealt with in a very positive way and people feel empowered once they learn this. And we talk a lot about behavior change and habits. So, you know, check it out. Um, It's mora.com. You may see if you're, and we're in Texas, Florida, and California, soon to launch Ohio, working on New York. Um, And I'm hoping someday we'll be in all 50 states. I do not have the timeline because we accept insurance, Medicare, Medicaid, and most most commercial insurances, we're working on all that. So uh, be patient with us if we don't accept yours yet. Um, but there's also a cash pay option um, outside of that. But again, um, this was pretty cool. What else, what would be the final word would you say? I know I've taken you past the time we agreed to meet. So what 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 is what else would you like to, to share with folks on in regards to food addiction? Yeah, I love the saying hope with facts. So mm-hmm. there's hope. There and I, and I love that you were talking about the group dynamic at Mora because um, I'm sure you'll remember this if that we've seen people that team up with one another like it's really hard for them to give up a certain food and so somebody else will say hey I'll do that with you and you have this like accountability buddy there which is support we we need a tribe we need people around us we've always done really well that way um so having a support system like that and and being able to be with other people that have experienced the same thing like oh yeah this is hard for me too and so feeling hope there are other people out there that are feeling the same exact way these companies didn't become billion dollar companies because one person's eating all the it's the majority of us right 20% of the population, um, you know, we see would test positive in a Yale food scale. So um, I'm not alone and um, there's lots of help out there. So whether that's Mora or doing one of the other things that we talked about doing therapy um, and then just taking those facts. And now, you know, now, you know, the next time you eat ice cream, why it's so easy to eat an entire carton or if chips are your thing, salty is your thing. 
get that out of your house. We have all these facts that are going to build back into you getting better every day. So use all those tools that we talked about um, to give hope and, and be graceful with yourself, have grace um, and love yourself. We never, we never fixed anything by hating ourselves. So love yourself well. And yeah, I, I love all of that that you said. It's perfect. And just know that, you know, one thing that's been on my mind lately is that you don't have to have it all figured out today right? You just, just, (laughs) it's a daily occurrence in my brain. Like, I feel like I need to just all be, cause I'm a control freak. Got to fix it today. It's got to be right today. And if I mess up, then, ah, you know, you lose, you just kind of tumble out of your emotions, but just remember you'll, you'll figure it out. You are a smart person. Look at where you've life, all these amazing things you've done. Just, you know, just get started on a small little piece, even if it's as simple as removing you know, the chips out of the cupboard and throw them in the trash or, you know, donate them to the whatever, you know, just removing a negative food or adding a healthier food to your plate, you know, just again, something there that you can do, take a walk every day for five minutes, even just start small, you don't have to have it all figured out today, it'll be an up and down road, but that's the life of journey. Mm -hmm. You know, the journey of life is just one step at a time. So that was awesome. Thank you, Catherine, again. And I'm sure everyone will love listening to uh, our discussion today. And you guys, please share this with someone if you feel that they would be inspired or like to hear you know, more about what Maura does. Please share this um, lovely uh, discussion. Thank you again, Catherine. Thanks for having me. Thanks for watching. And I hope you enjoyed that video. Before you go though, please hit the subscribe and alert buttons so you don't miss out on any of the amazing content we're working so hard to provide you. We upload a new episode of Health and Mora with Dr. Lori Marbus every Friday. Now, if you'd rather listen to the podcast, you can find us on all the major platforms such as iTunes, Google Play, SoundCloud, and even Spotify. If you're looking for amazing resources to help you start and sustain a plant-based diet, exercise, recipes, or anything wellness, we got you covered there too. Because at Mora, we actually provide physician-led support groups to help people live happier, healthier lives free of metabolic disease. Don't forget to check out our website at mora.com. And thanks again for watching.